0: Ben Uh, and if you were here last week you'll remember that uh, we looked at the Easter events Uh, and as we looked at Easter we were reminded uh, that we can't achieve a relationship with God, a relationship with God can only be received uh, by faith and by trusting that Jesus really is Lord and Saviour of our lives. So essentially last week we looked at why we should have faith in Jesus. Well, tonight and next week we're going to be looking at if uh, how if you have faith in Jesus, uh, that faith, that relationship, you, that relationship you have transforms your life. Uh, now if you're here tonight and all you understand about Christianity uh, is that it's a ticket to heaven, you're in for a bit of a rude shock. Uh, faith in Jesus is far more than a backstage pass to eternal life. It's far more than a good living guide uh, to a new lifestyle. In fact, faith in Jesus is nothing short of a new life, full stop. And in the next two weeks we'll be exploring in two key areas what that new life looks like. Tonight we'll be looking at Jesus and change, that is personal change, how faith in Jesus radically changes your character and your conduct. And next week we'll be looking at Jesus and church, that is communal change, if you like, how faith in Jesus radically changes the way you relate to God and other Christians in community. Uh, But before uh, we look at uh, what Paul says in Romans 6, uh, before we look at Jesus and change, why don't I pray? Father in heaven, uh, please guard my mouth uh, and our ears uh, that I might speak only what you would have me speak uh, and that we would hear only what you would have us hear, that we may be changed for your glory. Amen. Thanks.
1: Tonight's reading is uh, Romans 6 um, on page 799 in the Pew Bibles. So Romans 6 starting at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united uh, with him in his resurrection. He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are uh, not under law uh, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness.
0: Thank you very much, Ian. Well, have you ever known someone who has really, really changed? You know, you might have known someone who um, always lived for themselves. They might have been really arrogant. Uh, They might have been um, someone who always lied or maybe all they cared about was partying, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. And maybe you didn't see them for a little while and then maybe a year or two later you saw them and they completely changed. You know, they cleaned up their act. They were humble now. They were honest. Uh, They were really doing something with their lives. And so you ask the question, why? Why why did this person change? What's going on? In our passage tonight, Paul is talking about change. He's talking about character change, uh, about change from a person who used to obey, uh, rather used to disobey God, to a person who now obeys God. And the way he says change happens uh, is something very unexpected. He says, if you're a Christian, change happens, listen carefully, because you're no longer you. If you have a relationship with Jesus by faith, Paul says you're a new person. You're a new person in Jesus, he says. You have a new life in Jesus. And therefore, Paul says you need to change. You need to live out who you are, your new life in Jesus. Now, to unpack what Paul means, we're going to look at our passage tonight under two headings. First, know who you are in Jesus and second, live out who you are in Jesus. So, know who you are in Jesus, second, live out who you are in Jesus. Now, when you come to understand grace, particularly for the first time, there's a question that comes up. When you... When you understand that there's nothing you can do uh, that will earn your way into heaven, you can't earn your way into heaven. Only Jesus is good enough for God uh, and that it's by grace, by faith in Jesus that you're brought into a relationship with God. When you understand God's grace, a question arises. And it's the question that Paul anticipates here in verse 6 because basically he's just explained in chapters 1 to 5 of the letter to the Romans what grace really is all about. And then he says, well, question you understand grace. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says the same sort of thing in verse 15. Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? So he's basically saying if you understand that you can't earn your way into a relationship with God, what's the point? What's the point of living a good life? Why not just eat, drink and be merry? So Paul says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says uh, by no means, which is his way of saying, Are you crazy? And here's his argument in chapter 6. If you have faith in Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, you're a completely new person. And to explain, Paul gives us two descriptions of what that means. He says in verses 2 to 5, in Jesus you're a new person because you've gone from a person who was dead to a person who is now alive. And therefore, verses two and six, sorry, 6 and 7 and verses 16 to 18, Since you're a new person in Jesus, you've gone from a person who was a slave to sin to a person who is now free to serve God. Okay, so in verse 2, Paul says, you died to sin. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, "Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Now, Paul here, obviously, is speaking about Christians. He says, he's speaking about people who were baptised and the word he uses uh, refers to water baptism. Now, if you're a Christian who hasn't been baptised, don't worry, this doesn't exclude you. Uh, what Paul is really talking about is, are people who have been genuinely converted, people who have accepted uh, by faith a relationship with Jesus, people who have repented of their sins, uh, and people who have received the Holy Spirit. Uh, and Paul just assumes that if all those things have happened, if you're genuinely converted, you would have been baptised. Uh, baptism is like you know, the wedding ring in a marriage. It doesn't actually bring you into a relationship with God. Uh, that, that is baptism, but it's the visible sign uh, of that relationship. So Paul says if you're baptised, if you're genuinely converted, uh, you're united with Jesus. Uh, now Paul is saying something incredibly, incredibly profound here. The word he uses for union is a horticultural word. It means to be grafted on. It means to be grafted on to the root into a tree, or by the root into a tree. And so Paul is saying, before you became a Christian, you were like a dead branch, worthless, lifeless. But then God, the great gardener, came along and he grafted you on to the only source of life in the cosmos. That is the great tree, that is Jesus. And what this means is that Jesus' past is now your past. You see, 2,000 years ago, it wasn't just Jesus who was crucified on the cross. You were there. You were there with him. Your old self was crucified with him. And not only is his past your past, but his present is your present. Look at verse 4. Paul says, Just as Christ was raised, we too may live a new life. God raised Jesus to life and sat him at his right hand. At the right hand of God is you know, the place that's reserved for the conquering generals, for the most trusted minister in all the land. And Jesus deserves to be there. Why? Because he obeyed God completely. He did everything the Father told him to do. And so you see, when you come into a relationship with Jesus a marriage happens... Imagine uh, someone is, becomes rich. How do they become rich? by the diligence uh, of this and, and the attention to detail, by the hard work uh, of their skill. Uh, and then that person marries someone, and that new person, their spouse, also becomes rich, assuming there's no prenup, of course. And how did that person, that new spouse, become rich? By legal union, by grace? And if you're united with Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you with all your stains and all your guilt of your sin. He sees his perfect son who he dearly loves and he sees you just as perfect as Jesus. And just as you're united with uh, Jesus past and present, you will also be united with his future. You are united with his future. Paul says in verse 5, if you want to look there, you will certainly be raised with him to eternal life. And so friends, you see what's going on here. If you're a Christian, you don't just get a pardon. You don't just get a ticket to heaven. You're a brand new person. God has given you a completely new life and therefore you've been set free from sin. In verse 6, Paul says you're not your old self anymore. I don't know if you've met someone who's really changed. You go up to them, you see the change and you say, wow, you're not yourself anymore, you're a new person. Now, Paul here is not speaking about someone who just appears to be a different person. He's talking about someone who really is, actually, a new person. The person you once were was under the power of sin. It completely controlled you, sinned, that is, and you obeyed its dictates. Now, if you want to have a look with me down at verse 16, this is what Paul is saying. In the first part of the verse, Paul is saying that everyone offers themselves to something. Um, in the ancient world, if you uh, got into a massive debt, you couldn't pay it off. It was a lifelong debt. Uh, what you could do is actually sell, uh, offer yourself, rather, um, five years, ten years as a slave to pay off the debt. But the only catch was, of course, uh, that your new master had complete control of your life. And so Paul says in verse 16, you are a slave to the person you offer yourself to. Okay, that's the first part of verse 16. What he says then is, is, pretty, mate, is pretty profound. Paul says that that all people in the world are are in either one of two camps, only two. He says you're either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And that word righteousness just means uh, to live a life that is morally upright and pleasing to God. So you see what Paul is saying here, you know, the Matthias media. There's only two ways to live. Well, Paul is saying there's two ways, two ways to be a slave. There's no third way. All people. This applies to everyone. One way leads to death, which means separation from God. And the other way leads to righteousness, which which means living in a perfect relationship with God. And Paul says, everyone at one stage is in the first camp. None of us live in perfect obedience to God. So we're slaves to sin, he says, at one stage, at least. But... Do you realise what's happened if you're a Christian? Do you know what happened to your old self? Verse 6, it was crucified. It was crucified with Jesus. And since your old self has died, the person you now are has been freed, freed from sin. That's what Paul says in, That's what Paul says in verse seven, uh, 7 and that's what he says in verse 17. You used to be slaves to sin. But now, verse 18, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Okay, so if you're a Christian here tonight, do you see the radical change that has taken place? You're not you anymore. Who you once were, the person you were, was enslaved to sin, but that person, your old self, has died. Who you are now is a person, the person, God intended you to be, free, free to live in obedience to God and that's what you were made for. So that freedom, that obedience rather, is true freedom. And I guess my question is, do you believe that or do you really not? Are you someone who says, well, what's the point of living a good life? You know, Are you someone who's pretty relaxed about the sin in your life? Are you someone who sails close to the wind. it wants to see what you can get away with. Uh, do you really have to do that if you're a Christian? Can't you, know, can't you just do that sort of thing? If that's you, Paul says you are tragically unaware of who you are in Christ. And so that's what Paul wants to say. If you want to change, know who you are in Jesus. That's point number one. Point number two. Not only that, live out who you are in Jesus. Okay, as you've just seen, um, Paul has just explained that Christians are dead to sin and alive to God. Now, what's interesting then, he's, he goes on in verse 11 to say, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now, it's a bit unusual for him to actually say that. So, why does he need to say that? Well, it's one thing to know that you're being, who you are, it's one thing to know you've been set free, but it's a completely different thing to actually live out your freedom. I was watching a documentary on the US uh, Civil War recently and one of the most fascinating things was, you know, of course the issue was, one of the big issues was the freedom of slavery, the emancipation of slaves and the North won. The Southern states, uh, the African Americans were set free. What was amazingly interesting was that um, many of the slaves didn't know what to do with their freedom and they actually went back, uh, many of them went back to work for their former masters doing, you know, basically what they were just doing before when they were slaves. And the point is, every Christian in this room is basically in the same condition. We're free, but all so often we don't live out our freedom. We don't live out who we are in Jesus. We kind of forget who we are, don't we, at times. And again and again we go back into sin and we forget it no longer has control over us. So Paul says, count yourselves Dead to sin. Now, what exactly does this look like? Well, there's a story told about Augustine, who, if you know, was a theologian in the ancient, uh, in the early church rather. Um, And Augustine had a little problem with, let's say, sexual licentiousness. He used to sleep around, um, apparently, uh, have children out of wedlock, and that sort of thing. And one time, he came into a town where one of his former mistresses lived. And she rec- she saw him and she recognised him. She came up to him and was, you know was chatting. And she's like, "How are you going?" And and he was cordial, of course, uh, but she detected some reserve. And he sort of said farewell and parted. And and then she thought to herself, maybe he didn't recognise. It was me. You see, she wanted to have a fling with Augustine. She was trying to whisk him away and in those days flings lasted several days. So she thought, maybe he didn't recognise him. and she went up to him and said, Augustine, it's me. And do you know what he said to her? He said, I know, but it's not me. It's not me anymore. Do you see what he's saying? He knows who he is in Christ He's living out who he is in Christ and he's no longer the person he used to be. He no longer needs uh, to use women to fill the black hole uh, that, was, that he felt was missing, that thing that was missing in his heart. He's been set free uh, from the old self, his, the way that he used to live. And so that's what we need to do. We need to look at our old, our former masters and say, it's not me to them. So that's what it looks like to count yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. But we know that's incredibly hard, don't we? Um, if, you, if you're a Christian or if you know a Christian, you know that change is hard, change is slow. Paul says if you want to change, there are three keys, three secrets, three steps, whatever you want to call them. He says reject, obey, trust. It's on there on your bulletin if you've got that on the back. Reject, obey, trust. First, reject. Now, look with me at verse 12. Therefore, Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Paul says whatever, uh, whatever Christian knows, that even though we're free from the power of sin, it still exercises some degree of control over us. So to understand what Paul is saying, we need to understand there's a, there's a word there that Paul uses in verse 12. It's kind of invisible. It's the word in Greek, epithumia, uh, and it's translated as evil desires, which is a good translation, but it doesn't exactly mean, doesn't just mean desires for evil things. In fact, it actually means desires, uh, an excessive desire even for good things. An excessive desire even for good things. And uh, do you remember does Abraham Maslow? Does, does that ring a bell to anyone? Maybe you studied psychology, or maybe you know business, marketing, whatever. Um, you remember um, he came up with a Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, he said that we are motivated to do something when we feel desire. When we feel desire, I mean, we all have desires, right? You know that's part of being human. You know, and they're good things that we desire. You know, like parental or peer approval or beauty or health or status or respect or accomplishment, success, power and control, marriage, um, family, etc. And they're good things. Okay, but what Paul is saying here in verse 12 is that we will sin when we let those excessive desires reign in us. We sin, in other words, uh, when our excessive desires override our desire to obey God. That's why they're excessive, so, let me show you how this works. Okay, imagine you're late, running late for a client appointment. You know, it's a big deal that you've got to nail. Um, and on the way there, because you're running late, you speed, you get cut off, so you're filled with rage, and you get there and you're embarrassed, and so you lie about why you're late. And you kind of think, you know, afterwards, why, why did I just disobey God? Like, you know, um, speeding, breaking the law, uh, lying... Um, Rage. They're all, you know, God says don't do those things, but you couldn't control yourself. You just couldn't control yourself, could you? Do you know know why? It's because deep down you passionately desired something, something that you were getting from your job and that was, you know, you needed to be on time and you couldn't bear to lose it. Um, So it might have been a desire for respect through your job or a desire for money through your job or a desire for status uh, through your job, all of which were coming under attack if you were late And so your desires for those good things overrode, it triumphed over, it reigned over your desire to obey God. Okay, let me give you some more examples. Um, Are you having trouble forgiving anyone? Are you having trouble forgiving anyone? You know, God commands you to forgive, you know that, but you just can't forgive them, you just can't do it. Do you know why? It's because deep down, what you desired from them that they've now taken away. Maybe it was their affection, maybe it was uh, their respect for you. What you desired, you wanted too much. It was an excessive desire and it's controlled you. It's triumphed over your desire to obey God. Here's another example. Are you having trouble with sexual sin in your life? Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's something else, something you know you shouldn't be doing but you just can't help yourself. You can't control yourself. Why? It's because you have an excessive desire uh, for affection, for sex, whatever it is, and you let it reign in you. Same with gossip. You know, you like to bring others down um, and, and bring yourself up in the process by gossiping. And, and so you gossip. You know you shouldn't, but you gossip because it's an excessive desire for self-assurance. And it's the same thing if you're a workaholic. It's the same thing if you chronically lie. It's the same thing and, and the list goes on. It's our excessive desires that cause us to disobey God when we let them reign in us. So Paul says in verse 12, don't let them reign. Don't let them reign. Reject your former masters. Uh, second, now I want to point to uh, obey your new master. If you rejected your old masters, reject. Uh, obey your new master. Paul says in verse uh, 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of weakness, but rather, Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Um, So what Paul is saying is to use your body, not to disobey God, but to obey God. And it's a simple point. If you want to be free from sin, Paul says, obey God. Simple. How do you do that? Well, you know, you study the Bible, you come to church, you hear, you speak to um, what others are saying about uh, what pleases God and you put it into practice. And in fact, it's actually by obeying God's commands uh, that you take hold, that you actualize, that you realise your freedom. So Paul says in verse 14, Obey God, not because you have to, you're not under law, but because you want to, because you're under grace. You see, friends, you're free. You're free to obey. Okay, now, we know, we know that's hard, don't we? We hear words, phrases like, Offer yourself to God, be a slave to righteousness, and quite frankly, we get scared. We're scared that if we give up our control, um, like all the other spiritual masters, God is going to abuse it. He's going to abuse that control. That's finally. uh, That's why. Thirdly, and finally, we need to trust our new master. Where do you get the confidence? Where do you get the confidence to trust your new master? Friends, it's in the cross. It's on the cross. Imagine uh, you were homeless. Imagine you were maybe addicted to drugs and then someone comes along. They pick you up. They take you into their home and they share everything they have with you. And they say to you, now I want you to live a good life. I don't want you to be enslaved anymore to your addiction. Uh, I want you to live free. Don't you think... If they did all those things for you, they shared their house, they shared their riches with you, that you could trust them? Don't you think they'd only want what's best for you? Friends, Jesus Christ didn't just give up his riches to set us free. He gave up his life. Mark 10.45, Jesus says, He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you see his act of grace, it will set you free. Look at his sacrifice for you. Look at all the spitting and all the mocking and all the flogging and the crucifixion that he endured for you. Look at his torment of the one who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See what he suffered being separated from the Father. you and when you see that don't you see don't you know that you can trust him, don't you know that he has only ever wanted what is best for you don't you realise that obeying his commands are what is best for you everything else you might desire, affection, money, power status, through your job or whatever they're not going to die for you But if you don't obey their dictates, you will die for them. Jesus is the only spiritual master who will, who in fact has died for you. It's when you see who you are in him because of what he has done, it's then that you'll be able to live free and to say with Augustine to all your old former masters, it's not me. It's not me. If you want to change, know who you are in Jesus and live daily out of who you are in him. Live for him. Offer yourself to him and you will know what Thomas Cranmer said in the old prayer book to be true, that his service is perfect freedom. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in relationship with Jesus is perfect freedom. Help us to know who he is and what he's done for us that we may know who we are, that we may trust your commands, that they're the best way for us to live, that we might live out of who we are in Jesus, that we may live lives of obedience that are pleasing to you in every way. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.